A few weeks ago, we started this series that we're calling A Messy Little Christmas. And uh, you can see the stage is pretty messy. Uh, it's the aftermath of a Christmas party. And some of our people have been adding coffee cups and other uh, things to it because, well, hey, it's pretty messy up here. But uh, we have been discovering that Jesus coming to earth was not an easy thing, that that first Christmas was a messy little Christmas. We've talked about how messy the politics were at that time. And last week, Pastor Bill reminded us that Jesus can give us peace in the midst of our messy schedules. And today, our title is, When Expectations Get Messy. And I've noticed something, and I don't think I'm alone here. Christmas often comes with high expectations. We think everything has to be just so. We want perfect decorations and perfect family and perfect gifts, and we want the perfect Christmas dinner. And our culture perpetuates this fantasy in dozens of made-for-TV, <coughs> excuse me, made-for-TV movies, um, the girl always finds her soulmate. And in those Christmas movies, the estranged father is always reunited with his family, and the boy always gets the puppy that he wants, and the table is always laden with beautiful food, which must have been made by Christmas elves, because in those movies you never see anybody slaving in the kitchen to make that happen. And the decorations are always perfect in those Christmas movies. And those movies set our expectations for what things are supposed to be like, what things are going to be like. But I've noticed our Christmas expectations and Christmas reality doesn't always match. I found some pictures that kind of show the difference. There's the Christmas tree, for example, the expect expectation versus the reality. Now, if your tree looks like that expectation tree, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I have been working, I've spent hours this week just trying to get one section of my tree to light. And I finally went out and bought a string of lights and put it on that section because I got frustrated. And then there's snowmen that we build this time of year. Jessica in our office, when she saw this picture, asked me how I got a copy of a photo of every snowman she had ever built. I'm guessing she means the reality picture, not the expectation picture. Then there's hot chocolate. My wife is a big fan of hot chocolate, and she expects it to look like the one on the left, only with more whipped cream. I don't think she likes hot chocolate at all. I think she's a fan of whipped cream. They could give her just a cup of whipped cream and she would be fine. And then there's wrapping presents. When we start wrapping presents, we think it's gonna look <laughs> just perfect, but the reality is it looks more like that. Although, is that a bullet hole? <laughs> I mean, I grew up in LA and I've never seen a bullet hole in a package, but anyway. Um, finally, there's the pictures with Santa. 
you know, you always expect it to be perfect, and you never get a great picture of your kids with Santa, uh, although in the pictures with my kids, one might be crying and one might be picking their nose, you know, it's, uh, it's always amazing. So many times, the expectations that we have of Christmas are disappointed. And I was thinking about this as I prepared this message. Write this down. When you are expecting a perfect Christmas, it never happens. It just never happens. I mean, you're dreaming of a Christmas dinner straight out of a Norman Rockwell painting, but those paintings don't generally show burnt biscuits and spilled milk when the kids sit down. And you dream of a loving family gathered around the table or uh, uh, around the fire after dinner, just enjoying each other. But what usually happens is that irritating family member tells an offensive joke or the other family member who just can't resist a debate wants to talk politics. And you miss most of that anyway because you're stuck in the kitchen cleaning up the dishes. So expecting a perfect Christmas can get messy. The problem with high expectations is they are never met. So some have decided they're not going to have high expectations. They're going to have really low expectations of the holidays. They expect their family to bicker and to argue, and they don't plan on the meal being perfect, and they are sure that something will go horribly wrong and that people will leave more upset than when they arrived. But here's the thing I've noticed. When you are expecting a disappointing Christmas, it always happens. When you're expecting a bad Christmas, you usually get it or you get worse than you expected. And I think the reason for this is you're looking for the bad. You're looking for something to be upset about and you usually find it. That's the problem with low expectations. They are always met because we're looking for the bad and we find it. It's sad, but it's true. Life will never be perfect, not even at Christmas. Maybe especially not at Christmas. The arrival of December 25th does not magically heal broken relationships or ease the pain of loss or provide extra money to pay the bills. In fact, Christmas tends to intensify any grief or anxiety or sadness that we feel because we compare our imperfect, messy lives to that unrealistic, perfect image or expectation. And when our lives don't measure up, we lose hope. And without hope, Christmas becomes a time we just have to get through instead of being a joyful celebration. But this isn't new. Have you realized the first Christmas didn't meet anyone's expectations? It didn't meet anyone's ex expectations. Joseph is engaged to this beautiful girl and he has all these expectations about what marriage is going to be like, but I don't think his expectation for marriage included finding out that she was pregnant and hearing from her this far-fetched story about God being the father of her baby. And Mary, Mary's going to have a baby. And I'm sure having a baby in a stable far away from home and far away from everything that she knew 
probably wasn't what she expected. And the religious leaders expected the Messiah. They had been teaching for years that God would send a Messiah, that he would send a rescuer. And they had come to expect that the Messiah would be powerful, that he would be courageous, that the Messiah would be a military leader that would uh, rescue them from the occupying army that enslaved them, and their expectations were disappointed. It seems that the expectation of many that first Christmas were very different from reality. Now, you might be thinking, Steve, this is a pretty depressing view of Christmas. So far, I've said, the first Christmas disappointed almost everybody, and today I either expect the best and don't get it, or I expect the worst and get it and worse. Aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) Merry Christmas. Now, I don't want you to leave depressed and disappointed. I don't think we have to have a negative view of things. I think there's another solution. The solution is for you and I to do something different. The solution is for us to think differently. And it's to decide no matter what happens, you will find the good and you'll make the best of it. And at Christmas and at other times in your life, you can do this. If I spend some time understanding the benefits of Christmas, I can find joy even in the midst of burnt biscuits and dried out turkey and family members who are too far away and you miss them, or family members who are all with you, but so is their conflict and the drama that they bring with them. You see, if Christmas has always failed to live up to your expectations, I want to help you focus on Jesus today. I want you to focus on Jesus today because I really believe that could change your perspective and my perspective because Jesus invaded our messy world. Because he did that, we can discover God's real plan for Christmas is better than anything we ever expected. It is when, because Jesus invaded our messy world, real Christmas ends up being just perfect. Just perfect. So let's spend the rest of our time answering the question, what can I expect from Jesus? What can I expect from Jesus? Because Jesus came to earth as a baby, because he lives here with us, there are several things we can expect. The first might surprise you. I can expect from Jesus a satisfying life. A satisfying life. Many times when people talk about Jesus coming to earth and The main thing they talk about is eternal life. The main thing they talk about is heaven, and that's pretty important. In fact, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But Jesus didn't just come to earth so we could go to heaven. He came to earth so that we can have a satisfying life here and now. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus wants you to have a great life here on earth. Now, let me warn you. There are some teachers that would spend time right here talking about the fact that God wants you to live an abundant life. That's the way this rich and satisfying is translated in older translations. They would tell you, 
that that means that Jesus wants you to live a life of abundance, that he wants all of us to be rich, that he wants us to be wealthy. Can I say two things about that? Number one, we already are rich. Oh, you might not be rich compared to the one percenters in our country, but the poorest among us, the poorest in our country is still in the one percenters of our world as far as wealth is concerned. So all of us already are rich. Secondly, Jesus didn't come to make us wealthy. He did not come to make us wealthy. He came to help us enjoy life whether we're wealthy or struggling financially. He came for us to enjoy life, whether things are good or whether things are difficult right now. So what does it mean when it says that Jesus came to give us life abundantly or that his purpose was to give us a rich and satisfying life? Write this down. It means God isn't trying to frustrate us. God isn't trying to frustrate us. While the Bible is clear that we will not always escape the bad things in life because it rains on good people and it rains on bad people and the effects of sin cause us all sorts of problems and suffering, not just for us, but other people also. The Bible is also clear that in the midst of difficult times, we can enjoy life. We can enjoy life. God wants our life here on earth to be good to be happy. He wants us to smile and laugh and have fun, even if things aren't as perfect as we had hoped or expected them to be. Now, maybe you have noticed, just like I have, that sometimes we have to look for the good. We have to look for the good in life, but it's there. Even in the midst of the worst times, there's good. I remember spending some holidays alone in the hospital with my daughter when she was ill. I remember the first time. I remember sitting there imagining what I was missing, imagining the fun everyone was having at the family dinner. But I also remember reading my Bible and watching movies on TV and having some great conversations with people who had worked in the hospital on that day and had to work that day. In fact, later when Jill came and replaced me at the hospital and I joined my family for a part of the holiday celebration and some of those obnoxious relationship things that we talked about earlier happened, I, I kind of missed the quiet of the hospital. You see, you can choose to have a satisfying life. That's a choice you can make. You just have to find the good in your situation. You have to find the good that God has provided for you through Jesus. You just have to decide, even in the midst of imperfection, you can experience a satisfying life. Something else you can expect from Jesus is a clear life, a clear life. Look at what Jesus said about the reason he came to earth in John chapter 12. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in the darkness. Light gets rid of darkness. That's what light does. Now, I've told you before 
that light has no or has power over darkness but darkness has no power over light let me illustrate that for you again okay i have some darkness right here in my hand pretty dark okay i'm going to release this darkness into this room so that you can see what effect darkness has on light ready did you see it me neither because light has power over darkness, but darkness has no power over light. Uh, if you are, find yourself in a really dark room, lighting one match just destroys the darkness. Light destroys darkness. And one of the things that light brings is clarity. It brings clarity. It makes everything clear. I fell asleep in my recliner recently, and I woke up in my recliner late enough that the lights that we have on the timer had already gone off. But I decided I was just gonna go to the bedroom without turning on any lights. And I hadn't gone very far before I tripped over a box that I had left on the floor and almost fell. See, light would have let me see that box clearly and step around it. That's what light does. It clears away the darkness. And Jesus said that he came as the light to shine in this dark world. He came so that we wouldn't wander in darkness, that we wouldn't stub our toes and trip over things in this dark world. This tells me that God isn't trying to confuse us. God isn't trying to confuse us. Sometimes if you listen to people talk about Jesus or talk about the Bible, they make it sound like God has purposely made it really hard to understand. I mean, that he has kept it all a mystery and that only a few people like Billy Graham and the Pope and maybe a few pastors here and there will really understand because it's really hard and that God's trying to confuse us. I want you to know nothing is further from the truth. Jesus came to make it easy for us to see the path to God. He came in order to make it easy for us to get to God. He came to help us understand God and understand how much God loves us and how much God cares for us. He came so that we can have light for our path. And if you have been saying, I just can't understand all this and I don't really know what God wants me to do. You need to spend some time focusing on Jesus, letting him light your world. You need to spend some time focusing on God's communication to you through the Bible and it isn't that hard. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he said the second commandment is just to love others. It was Jesus that said those two things lead us to what God wants us to do. Everything the Bible defines as sin is something that will violate one of those two commands. Sin is either something that keeps me from loving God the way that I'm supposed to or from loving you the way that I'm supposed to. And you may want to argue with God's opinion you might want to argue that some of his opinions on some of those things are old and outdated, but in his wisdom, he made it clear following his path isn't hard because Jesus came to be our light. He gives clarity to our life. You see, our problem is we would often want, rather wander in the darkness of sin than to use Jesus' light to avoid the pitfalls of the dark world.
We have come to the place in our life where many times we think we know better and that that path of sin that leads us into darkness is better than the light of Jesus. And so we'd rather wander in the darkness of sin than avoid the pitfalls of this dark world. But if I focus on him, I can expect from Jesus a satisfying life and a clear life. Another thing that I can expect from Jesus is eternal life, eternal life. I told you we would talk about this one. It's so important to understand the heart of God that sent Jesus to come to earth and to struggle through life like we do. He came to give us eternal life. And the scripture that I want to use is perhaps the most famous scripture in all of the Bible. It's from John chapter 3. Start with verse 16. Let me read for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now because these verses are so famous, we often skim over them assuming we already know, that we already understand their deep truth. But don't do that today. Don't just skim over these verses. Let's read them again. And this time, I invite you to read it aloud with me. Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did you catch the key point of the passage? Write it down. God isn't trying to condemn us. God isn't trying to condemn us. Now, that's important because some people have been taught a picture of God that shows that they believe God's main purpose was to judge and condemn us. I mean, I have talked to many people who uh, think that they can't become Christians yet because they need to spend some time cleaning up their life and getting rid of sin, that God would never accept them as they are, that they've got to change everything that they do so that they can follow after God. I've met other people who are working hard to do everything just right. I mean, to give enough and to serve enough and to go to church enough, and they're trying to be okay with God by doing all of the right things. And many picture God as this angry, wrathful person watching from heaven, just ready to pounce on them. I mean, it's like they believe that he has his foot raised above them and he's just watching for them to sin so he can stomp down on them and really let them have it. They think God is anxious to condemn that he wants to send them to hell, that he would enjoy condemning them and sending them to hell. Now, if that's your God, let me just say, that's not my God. That is not the God we read about in the Bible, and that's certainly not Jesus. That's not Jesus. God loved the world so much. No, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price of your sin. He sent Jesus to earth knowing that people would criticize him and belittle him. 
He sent Jesus to earth knowing that Jesus would get tired, that he would feel lonely and disappointed and angry and discouraged. He sent Jesus to earth knowing that he would be betrayed by a friend and abandoned by his other friends. He sent Jesus to earth knowing that he would be beaten, that he would be spit upon, that he would be mocked at the worst moment of his life. He sent Jesus to earth knowing that Jesus would be stripped naked and nailed to a cross, knowing that he would die an agonizing death on that cruel cross. God knew all of that before he sent Jesus. He knew all that before he sent him. So why did he send him? I mean, could you send a child that you love into a situation where you knew those things would happen to him or her? I couldn't. I couldn't. But God sent Jesus into the world knowing those things to do those things because he knew something else. He knew that if he didn't send Jesus, that we would all be lost. That I would spend eternity in hell. And so would you. He knew because of our sin, we would end up separated from him forever. He knew that you and I would end up in eternal punishment. He knew that we would miss out on heaven. And he just couldn't stand that thought. God could not stand the thought of heaven happening without you there. He just couldn't stand that thought. And so he sent Jesus because he loves you and he loves me. God loves you and me so much that he sent Jesus into a world of pain and suffering so that if we would let him, if we would trust in him, he would save us through Jesus. And instead of us enduring eternal suffering, we would enjoy eternal life with him. You see, he isn't trying to condemn us. He isn't trying to condemn us. That would have been easy. If he wanted us condemned, all he had to do was nothing because we've all condemned ourselves. That would have been easy. He isn't trying to condemn us. The hard choice God made was to send Jesus so that we can be in heaven with him forever if we've trusted in him. There's one more thing I want to point out that we can expect because of Jesus. We can expect a connected life, a connected life. I love this verse and what it tells us about God's heart for us. It's from Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what it says. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. God's plan has always been to adopt us into his family. He did that through Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross and when I accepted his death to pay the price for my sin, I became part of God's family. 
And what that tells me is God isn't trying to isolate us. God isn't trying to isolate us. He could have, you know. Do you realize God could have saved us from our sin? He could have promised us heaven when we die, and he could, he could have still left us here to struggle through life alone. I mean, he could have said, you just do your best to grow with me and, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and follow me. I want you to do your best to become like me. And by the way, I want you to do that all by yourself. I want you to do that alone. But he didn't do that. Instead, he gave us a couple of things to help us. Now, these aren't in your notes, so if you want them, you're going to have to write them down, right? The first thing that he gave to us was a relationship with him. A relationship with him. Has it dawned on you yet? God wants a relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants you to love him and talk with him and to share with him. He wants to help you through your day and give you wisdom for your life. He doesn't want you to do life alone. He wants to be with you all of the way. He's promised to be with you all of the way. And that's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is a little confusing to some. The Holy Spirit is that part of God that lives inside of us, that comes to live inside of us when we become a follower of Christ, when we commit ourselves to him. And the Holy Spirit's job is to comfort us at times that are difficult and to convince us what is good and right in our life. And the Holy Spirit's job is also to point out what is sinful in our life. And so he kind of... Uh, kind of nudges me to do the right things, and he kind of nudges me to stop doing the wrong things, and he gives me comfort at difficult times. And so sometimes when somebody indicates that they're a little upset about something that I said in a message or something that Scripture says, I know that God's working on them, that his Holy Spirit is working on them, that God's trying to convince them of what they need to do or what they need to stop doing in their life. And the trick for all of us is to learn to listen, to not chase away those promptings in our life. There are times in my life when I see something really disturbing, something that just shows all sorts of injustice in our world, and when I see it happening, I just get frustrated, and I kind of, and then I walk away from it, and I kind of feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to me, don't let that pass too quickly. Think about that. Think about what God would want in that situation. And sometimes we pass those moments far too quickly, but we've got to listen to God because God wants us to live a connected life. He wants us to be connected to him. But there's another incredible gift God gave us that will help us. Second, he gave us a relationship with each other. It's not an accident that we're here together because God had this great idea for the church. And the church is a wonderful thing when it's working correctly. When God's church is functioning the way that God intended as a loving and caring community where we uh, love each other and challenge each other to grow and to strive forward for God, it's a wonderful thing. It's one of the best gifts God gave to us when it's working, and when it's working the way it's supposed to. But sometimes it doesn't, doesn't. I mean, we've all been there where we've seen church conflicts, 
where there's been some hurt feelings, where people are underappreciated and others are oversensitive and just can't seem to get along sometimes, just like a family. That happens in my biological family and yours too probably. See, it works just like a family sometimes. And the church, when it's working correctly, is this incredible gift that God has given to us. I mean, there are times when we help each other through tough times and through illness and through grief and through our Power of One Dollar program this year, we have just been able to help dozens and dozens of people in the midst of some of the worst times of their life. People from our church have nominated them and we've been able to give a financial gift that have uh, helped people and given them hope. And there's other situations where people just striving together accomplish great things. And we can expect a connected life when we're connected to each other and connected to God. And do you need a better connection this year? Maybe that's what you need. I mean, are you feeling like you're less connected to God than you used to be? Can I just tell you, God hasn't moved. He hasn't changed. If you're not feeling as connected to him, you're not drawing near to him like you used to. Maybe you need to spend more time listening to him, spend more time reading to him, spend more time worshiping him if you're not feeling as connected to God. Maybe you're feeling like, gee, I'm just not as connected to the church as I used to be. Can I tell you that almost always that's because you're doing something different? You're not in a group as often, you're not serving as much. So what are you gonna do to enjoy this benefit that Jesus came that we can expect a connected life. Look back at that verse one more time from Ephesians chapter one. I love the verse. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. I really like that last part, don't you? He did this because it pleased him to do this. It was his pleasure to adopt us into his family. He wanted to do that. He wanted you in his family. You are adopted. He chose you. That's one of the best parts that uh, people who are adopted have is they know that someone cared enough about them, that they wanted them, that they adopted them, that they chose them, and God has chosen you. I mean, let's face it, sometimes with our biological family, we're kind of stuck with those people. We didn't get to choose them, did we? But God chose you. God's not stuck with you. He chose you. And that ought to give us some joy this Christmas, whether your perfect expectations work out or don't work out, whether things are difficult or whether they're great. You see, you can expect this Christmas a satisfying life and a life of clarity, an eternal life, and a connected life. And if you aren't ex- currently experiencing those things, if you're not sure especially that you have eternal life, you need to come talk to somebody at our first step uh, space up here by the piano, someone with a yellow lanyard, or talk to one of our pastors, but don't miss out on it. Let's make this Christmas the best Christmas because we experience everything that Jesus came for that we can 
rightly expect from him this Christmas. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for those that are just struggling with disappointment, those that are struggling because of difficulty in their life or difficulty in their family this Christmas. Father, would you just help them to cling to Jesus? Father, would you help us to find uh, the hope of Christmas by focusing again on Jesus and what he did for us and all of the things that we can rightly expect from him. Father, I pray right now for people who are still trying to make following you more difficult. Father, would you help them to just see the simplicity of your love for them, the fact that you chose them. Father, would you help each one of us be beacons of light and let Jesus shine through us in this dark world. And Father, right now, we just thank you so much for loving us that much, for knowing those terrible things would happen to Jesus, but loving me enough that you sent Jesus to die for me. And Father, we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.